ghouls. Happy hump day and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also hello, gorgeous, gorgeous girls, and welcome back to another episode of Girlfriends. I'm Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by my best girl Lucy. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, you know, second recording of the year so far. Getting into it. Um, we've got an absolutely jam-packed schedule for the year because so many amazing or perhaps um, crazy people want to come <laughs> on here and talk horror films with us so uh, yeah it's good to get back in the swing of it there's a lot of exciting things happening so yeah I'm quite happy. The goals are booked and busy. We are booked and blessed, <laughs> booked and busy. <laughs> Let's concentrate on tonight's Spooky Sleepover and we are talking, well you named this staycation vibes, I think this is more of the staycation from hell (laughs) because we are looking at 2019's The Lodge. you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas? Grace really wants to get to know you guys. I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not feeling up to it. Uh, I'm feeling fine. I can do a couple days. It's Grace. Everyone committed suicide except for her. I heard something. What is this? The power's out. We're leaving. We can't leave. Please let me. We're stuck here. you had never seen this film before um what were your initial thoughts on it I knew nothing I literally went into it blind and honestly I'm still like I'm just fresh from watching it and I'm like I don't know how I feel about it like some parts of it I liked like I really liked the ending but like I kept because I was watching it with with Dana and we're just like oh this is happening oh this is happening and like the plot just changes constantly it wasn't what I expected it to be it's almost like it's kind of like something Ari Aster would do a little bit it's got those kind of vibes beautiful cottage or cabin but yeah maybe not staycation vibes staycation from hell (laughs) (laughs) it's funny that you say Ari Aster vibes because a lot of people describe the lodge as like the poor man's hereditary which I think is really unfair 
Um, because I like there are some similarities, but I also think they're very, very different. But one of the things I do like about it, like you were saying, is this film keeps you on your toes. You think, you know, I thought at first it was Haunted House, and then you think it's, you know, something like The Others, and then you find out what's actually happening. And I feel like they blend together so well, these kind of stories. And then on a second watch, when you realise what's actually happening, you have this whole other experience. Like I just, I had when I was watching it today, when I first watched it, I was like constantly, my to- keep, kept me on my toes, like what's going on, what's going on? And on the second watch, I was just looking out for all the little details of how they were able to pull this off. Um, so I think it's a really interesting film. It's um indie film. I don't think a lot of people have heard of it, so glad we're talking about it today. Yeah, definitely. And I do think it's it's a bit unfair to say it's a poor man's hereditary. I mean, I get the reference because of the like the dioramas and stuff, but that's that's the only real direct link, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like dollhouses. I mean, can you really say just based on dollhouses that it's like exactly like hereditary? It's not. They're like I feel like they're very different films. Let's get into it. So, The Lodge came out in twenty nineteen. Um, actually premiered at Sundance in early twenty nineteen, mm. and it didn't get its cinematic release until February twenty twenty. So it just kind of sat about. I don't know where for a, a, over a year before it actually got to the cinema, and it's such a shame it came out in twenty twenty with everything that happened. The IMDb plot for The Lodge is as follows. So a soon-to-be stepmom is snowed in with her fiancé's two children at a remote holiday village. Just as relations begin to thaw between the trio, some strange and frightening events take place. This film stars Riley Keough, Jaden Martell and Liam Q. It's directed by Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, who are an Austrian duo behind Goodnight Mommy as well, which, if you know what that film's about, that's kind of a spoiler for this film as well. Um, so they clearly have, I don't know, something against children, because <laughs> this is what their work seems to revolve around. And the two of them also wrote the film alongside Sergio Casai. And did you recognise the dad was from The Hobbit? I recognise him and had a little look on IMBD. No, I only watched the first of The Hobbit trilogy. And for some bizarre... I had agreed to go and see it with my boyfriend at the time, but I'd also agreed to see it with my best friend. And she was not available to see it with me and my boyfriend at the time. So I went to see it twice. And the first time I watched The Hobbit... I fell asleep. And no. Yeah, I fell asleep at the cinema. And I think that was the first time I'd ever done that as well. It's a it was a long ass film and I just hadn't bothered with the other ones because I was because the Lord of the Rings is so up there for me. The Hobbit was so disappointed. I just like didn't bother with the rest of it. So no, I did not get Don't that. bother with the last one, is all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I will like I keep meaning to have uh like a Lord of the Rings marathon um but I don't know I'm like trying to find like the perfect moment to do it I don't quite know what I'm waiting for but um yeah maybe I'll like add in The Hobbit as well but okay. yeah I wasn't in- I wasn't impressed with the first one so I didn't bother with the rest <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Riley Keough has been in the news quite a bit recently as well for a, a really sad reason. Um, her mum's recently passed away. We saw oh. her at the Golden Globes. Uh, Lisa Marie Presley, and she passed away from heart attack. Um, Lisa Marie Presley obviously being famous as Elvis's only child as well. Um, that family has been through so much heartache. Um, like Lisa Marie lost her dad when she was nine. She also lost a son to suicide in 2020. And like she's left behind twin girls. I think they're girls anyway, twins who are 14. So it's like Priscilla, Riley, heart goes out to you at the moment. It can't be a fun time for you guys. Um she was so young as well. She was like what 45 or something? 54, yeah. 50, oh, sorry, I don't know why I was getting it wrong way around, but that's still young. That is still young. I think there's a lot of, because obviously Elvis very famously died of a heart attack, and I think there's a lot of, like, heart issues in that family. There seems to be just a lot of people dying young from heart issues, and it's just so sad. And has been in the news a lot for really sad reasons recently, so I hope her and her family are doing well. Um, while we get into this film... Yeah, one thing I wanted to say on the IMBD thing as well was obviously there's the dog in this and you know immediately when you see a pet in a horror movie you're thinking, oh god, something's going to happen. We were trying to figure out what breed the dog was because... Is it not I, the same as Gucci? Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I think that's... Because Gucci's a miniature Maltese and I was like, I think it's mm. Gucci. I'm having a look. The dog has its own IMBD page. It's called Wally. <laughs> Oh, I love that. And remember after The Artist came out in 2012, you know, that like black and white film? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was meant to be all about like the silent era. And there's like a wee Jack Russell in that. And all this like talk came out about like animal actors. And like the one that's in The Artist is meant to be like this highly decorated actor dog. And I'm just like, so funny that these animals have a career it's like do you even know what you're doing (laughs) like we'd like give awards and stuff and that out and they'll just be like oh can I have a dentist like (laughs) where's (laughs) they don't understand but I don't know I wonder how much they do know about like what's going on but yeah that's so cute I love that dog in that film um although as well like spoiler alert uh, there better not be a dead dog in the film we're doing next week, Lucy, because I'm worried that we're in our dead dog era. Because that'll be three films in a row. And I'm like, I'm trying to remember the film the week after. And I'm like, fuck, is there a dog in that? I don't know. And I'm like, I can't be doing four dead dog films in a row or three no. dead dog films in a row. I just can't do it. Don't have the mental health for it. <laughs> so uh, I'll just... I'll go on that website, does the dog die, and I'll find out about the film for next week. And I was see just about to say, dead dog era. <laughs> so the lodge opens with a dollhouse, and we'll find out later on that this dollhouse is an exact replica of the lodge that we will end up spending most of the film in. Um, dollhouse comes up a lot. It looks like the children use it at some point to kind of kind of um, place out what they want to happen. I'm yeah. trying to say it without revealing revealing it right away, but to try and place out what they want to happen. So the dollhouse does become very important and it's important like metaphorically for the film as well because we go from 
people having control of the situation to people having like, just uh, being left up to fate because what they wanted to happen is completely run out of their hands. It's completely out of their control yeah. and they can't p- place people around like dolls in a house anymore. Things just have to run their course after a certain point. So I think that's quite interesting as well. And maybe that's where some of the hereditary comparisons come in as well. But we open in this dollhouse and we see Alicia Silverstone as the mum, Laura, and she's calling for the kids. Um, you know, we see her being really emotional, getting ready. Um, we follow them all in the car and we see the kids referring to her. Is she going to be there? And you immediately know there's like some kind of tension somewhere. Yeah, you know there's another woman, the other woman. Like, you can tell straight off the bat. It's so interesting with this film, the way that she is built up. Because we don't even get to know her name until, like, quite a bit in as well. Um, You know, we pull up to the house and we see we see her through the window. And then when the dad asks to speak to the mum on their own, we see the back of her head while she exits through the garden gate. And even he's like, don't worry, she's not here. And it just adds this air of mystery to who this other woman is. It's kind of interesting because you start off the first like half of the film, well not half, the first quarter maybe from the kid's perspective and then it's from, not to spoil it, but it's from her perspective later on because you see things from her side. I didn't think about that, yeah. It's quite obvious when the mum's driving the kids to the dads that the mum and dad have split up and he asks the mum, because again, we don't even find out the mum and dad's names. I, like, I've got mum, dad, mum, dad, like written throughout this. But anyway, the dad asks the mum, uh, can we speed up the divorce? Um, I really want to get married to Grace. Well, it's here we find our name is Grace in September. So goes home. She just takes off straight away. The mum goes home, pours herself a glass of wine, uh, removes her necklace, and then takes her own life um we see the blood splatter over the crucifix as well religious iconography is Mm -hmm. very important in this film um one of the things i wanted to point out as well because i think some people might watch this and be like bit fucking dramatic but we are in this film and then we're taken to six months later they're asking about christmas so this is june and he wants to marry this woman in september which is three months later, that is such a shock to the system where she's, she's probably thinking she's had her best dress on, getting her makeup done and that. She's maybe thinking there's a chance for us. So this saying, I'd actually get this divorce moving because I want to marry the side piece in six months. No, in three months rather. Like, brutal. It is. It's absolutely brutal. But I will say... I did not expect that to happen. Like when she took the gun out, I, my jaw was on the floor because you don't really find out either like why they split or anything like that. It, you don't really find out anything and you don't really see if she was like struggling mentally before. But I kind of like that straight away you're right into the thick of it because this is a slow burn of a movie. I will say it's a slow burn, but it like it catches your eye straight away. But it's fucking brutal. Three months, come on. So we cut to the funeral and we see Mia crying, she's holding on to this doll that is that's dressed up like her mum on the day that she died. Um, we then go back to the house and Mia is just 
crying her eyes out. She's completely distraught. And she's talking about how her mum won't be able to get into heaven and she's really, really upset about this. We find out a bit later on in the film that Laura is very religious, the mum. So obviously the kids have taken that on a bit as well. And in a lot, well, maybe all of them, I'm not sure, I'm not Christian, but I know that if you take your own life, then it's you're told that you're not going to see heaven. It's seen as a sin. Um so this kind of indoctrination in Christianity has made like Mia even more upset because you know she thinks at one at one point you're going to go to heaven and my mom's not going to be there because she did this thing to herself um, and that's really heartbreaking to watch. It is. I will. I have to say the the, the actress that played her fucking incredible this scene is absolutely incredible like it 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 feels like real grief like real grief and your heart absolutely breaks for her there's not that many times I've been kind of taken aback like that by grief like the the other one I can think of is like funnily enough midsummer when um Danny you know finds out about her family Uh, but that was that was just heartbreaking it was really hard to watch the dads, dads and Hot are, are a bit shit. Like <laughs> they are. I mean, except for like Gomez Adams. The dad in this film is particularly shit. And he's just like, nobody knows where we go when we die. It's like, that's so fucking helpful. Like for her right now, like she needs to know that her mum is going to a happy place after death. Because that's what she believes happens after after you die and she needs to think that her mum has gone to a happy place where she will be happier and she's been absolved of all the you know horrible things that have happened in life you don't be like oh oh she's one foot like that's why <laughs> it's really sad oh, she's one f- oh oh we don't know what happens she's just a corpse in the ground <laughs> thanks dad like <laughs> really appreciate that Oh my god. When I was watching this as well, I was just thinking about all like the horror dads that I hate. Um my least favourite is the dad from Orphan. The whole oh film wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for him. He's such an asshole at him. A great A cunt. Like actual <laughs> great A cunt. <laughs> hate him. He's my least favourite. We need to do that one day because I've got some things to say about him. <laughs> oh, that could be a new theme can add that to the list yes <laughs> um but Aiden dutiful big brother comes and lies beside his sister uh while she's crying because he just gives up he fucks off so uh, six months later the kids are with the dad he's talking about going up to the mountains at Christmas it sounds like something that they've done in the past um when Laura was still alive but he's like oh I want to bring Grace and Aiden straight away is like, no, I'm not fucking doing that. No. <laughs> Do you blame him? No. Aiden's like, it's her fault mum's dead. It's not Grace's fault that mum is dead, but completely understand that train of thought from a teenager who's grieving. Oh, absolutely. But can we please see as well in this scene, why the fuck is there hanging turkeys from the fucking oh. ceiling? What the fuck's that? And they have a turkey each as well. What is that? Yeah, it must be like a thanks 
Is that Thanksgiving decorations? We don't do Thanksgiving in the UK, so I like I don't know. Please enlighten us, people from the states, because I was thinking, what the fuck is going on here? Why is all these dead birds hanging from for the roof? So the dad's grandmaster plan for Christmas as well, which is even more bizarre. So I get that the dad has a relationship with this woman, fine, but his plan is for his kids to spend time with someone who's a virtual stranger alone. In like a, a lodge in the mountains while he goes back to work. I'm just like, the math's not mathing. Like, this dad, the brains are too much in the penis <laughs> and they need to go back to like the heads, like above the neck, not like the one in the trousers <laughs> because he's just not making any sense. He's just like, he just wants to do what's best, like, for his love life, his sex life. He's not thinking about these kids whatsoever. No, he's just wanting a new stepmom and being like, right, I'm going to go live my best life. I'm going to come back for a quick pump and then I'm heading back to go do work stuff. That's all he wants, really. So then Aiden also points out, he calls Grace a psycho. Shouldn't really call people psychos, but he calls Grace a psycho. And the dad's like, why have you said that? And Aiden's like, well, she's in your book, is she not? And then that made me hate the dad even more because it's never really pointed out if he's like a professor or a doctor or something. But he's clearly been studying cults. And I'm like, you wrote about this lassie. And it's not really mentioned how old she is, right? Like, you, I think is like 33, 34. Like, so like around about my age. And he has this like position of power over her almost because she's vulnerable because of what she's been through and then they've ended up in a romantic and sexual relationship like that doesn't sit right with me no it's giving really unhealthy power dynamics there very toxic exactly and that's just another thing I'm like I don't like you because you've abused your power over this um over this person who has been in a vulnerable situation has really vulnerable mental health and you're just like, oh, I'm a, I'm a good looking guy and I'm here to save the day and I'm going to like Florence Nightingale my way into your knickers. No. No, absolutely I don't not. like it. Um, so obviously, we have a bit of a fight, the kids walk off. Mia watches the dad speak to Grace like through these kind of clouded windows and she's just like, I know you're talking about me, bitch, and fucking slams the door. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it too and I'm like, yes. And then, right, because obviously it's not appropriate to have Grace in the house at the moment, the kids are upset, it's because of Grace, it's not really because of Grace, it's because of the dad, but, you know, there's a lot of emotional stuff going on there. He leaves them alone in the house, right? On their own! So, (laughs) Aidan and Mia sneak into his office and find out all this shit about Grace from his files from his book, um... They find out that Grace was the lone survivor of a mass suicide of a cult. Um, you know, very akin to Heaven's Gate, you know, the whole drink the Kool-Aid thing. She was 12 at the time. Um, so that's a lot for a 12-year-old as well. They watch this video footage of a sermon that's led by Grace's dad, who's played by Ry- Riley Kewa's actual dad, who oh, grew up in a cult. So he was kind of perfect for the role because he has that experience. Um, Very meta. 
Yeah, apparently. <laughs> and um, yeah, so there's this video footage of a sermon and then it cuts to all the dead bodies uh, after the mass suicide. And we see them, they have their faces covered in this like purple cloth and um, they have this duct tape over their mouth that says sin on it. And then we see this, we see the camera pan to a reflection and it's 12 year old Grace. So she's the one who filmed the footage that brought evidence of this, what was going on to the world. So yeah, Grace has been through it. She has been through it. And those kids have been fucking through it, having to see that footage as well. I mean, that's traumatic in itself. So the dad comes back and then he asks them again, like, can we please do the lodge thing? Like, Grace really wants to get to know yous. You know, she really wants to spend a bit of time with yous. You know, kind of try to bribe them. Like, oh, she's a rubbish cook, so you can eat all the junk food you want. And um, yeah, and then we're kind of... We pan away and then we come back to the dollhouse and they, me and Aiden are like, like whispering over it. And on a first watch, that means nothing. But on a second watch, that's what that's where the plan is concocted. We conniving little kids, honestly. It's just like, oh. So yeah, we have this packing montage. And um, again, on a first watch, you don't pay any attention to this whatsoever. But it, what Aiden packs in his bag is very peculiar. He packs climbing gear. And if you see on his room, he has like a rock climbing wall in his I room I was almost. wondering what, what that was about when I saw that. Aye, so he packs rock climbing gear, because obviously he's into that. He packs candles, which is a bit odd. And he packs a picture. Um, and on the first watch, I, 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 don't, I probably wasn't paying attention. I know what I'm like. But uh, on the second watch, you're just like, I see you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so the dad and the kids go and pick Grace up. And we hear so much about Grace. And it takes until about like 21 minutes into the film until we actually see her. And it's such an interesting, like, directing slash like editing choice because the reveal of Grace's face is actually extremely unremarkable there's no like pomp and ceremony with music or anything she just kind of turns around she's like oh hi Aiden hi Mia and she's got her like wee dog and um you know I think that's the director trying to tell us that she's actually not a threat she's nothing to worry about but I think on a first watch for me anyway I built Grace up in my head so much that I was just waiting for her to be like cult leader part two. And it's on a second watch, it's just like completely non-threatening. Like she's done nothing wrong. She's literally done nothing wrong because when it builds up, you think it's going to give like evil stepmother Cinderella horror version realness. But she's she's just a normal person that's been through a lot, obviously has severe PTSD through what she's been through. And honestly, like... I can't say about the end, but you know what? I'm like, fair. Like, everything that she does, I'm like... So we arrive at the lodge and, like, everybody's settling in and we see that Grace has bought presents for the kids and stuff. So, again, it's, like, another sign that, like, she's actually really sincere in wanting to get to know these kids. Um, And as someone who's been through traumatic things, she, she probably is maybe hoping to relate to them in that way as well like maybe help them through it you know we see later that she takes quite a bit of medication and uh, she's been through 
a lot of counselling slash like deprogramming from the cult to kind of get to the stage where she's at now. I mean, we assume that she's living on her own and she's got a dog and she seems like a very well-adjusted person. And um, it's sad in that moment, seeing the presence and knowing that her wanting to get to know the kids is very sincere and then kind of what happens over the course of the film. It's kind of interesting as well because we talked about Megan last week where there's a different dynamic. Obviously, it's an aunt and a niece, but you can see there where it's like, I mean, she does make an effort a bit later on, but looking at Grace and how much effort Grace puts into the kids compared to, I can't remember the name now, that's really, really bad, but the aunt and no, oh, it, Gemma. It, Gemma, yeah, yeah. Compared to Gemma, it's quite interesting seeing that, you know, going back and forth from two kind of like family relationships. It's kind of interesting to co- compare the two. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're at the dinner table, the four of them together. Um, Mia says Grace very quickly, and it kind of seems like this maybe triggers Grace a bit, and then it's just you see all the religious iconography, and it's like looming over her and it's a kind of like twofold thing because we find out that all the religious stuff in the lodge belongs to Laura so it's like the dead ex is like oh like looming over her and obviously that is kind of like the elephant in the room it's why the kids hate her our mum's dead because you're with our dad um even though again it's not Grace's fault no um <laughs> but I'm just like why the kids think that that is and then it's also like her cult past with her you know cult leader father and the way that they interpreted the bible kind of looming over her as well this will always be a thing in the back of her head so I think the way they did the set design is very interesting on that side because there's no getting away from it it's in every single room she can't escape it and it also shows how fucking inconsiderate the dad is because if he's been interviewing her as like a test subject for his book he knows how much she's been through she know he knows how triggering that is for her why not take some stuff down why do, why do we need mary or whoever across across the dinner table from us a massive portrait of her why do we need a crucifix in the fucking bedroom like it's 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 not needed he's even like oh i'll take it down if you want it was laura's so obviously she's like, oh, it's the dead wife's like, I can't. So she leaves it up, but it's obviously a lot for her. He's just a prick. Um, so there's a bit of an awkward sex scene. Everyone in the whole fucking place hears it. I feel heart sorry for the kids. Just having to listen to those pair canoodle and giggle. It's, it fucking makes me sick. And um, Big ick. A big ick. And then the dog grimbles at something in the dark. Um, on a first watch, what did you think this could be? I really didn't know, you know, because obviously dogs sense stuff as well. So yeah. I thought I thought it might have been like, I don't know, the ghost of Laura or something like that coming to take revenge. That was my first instinct was it's like a supernatural thing. And I thought it might have been the dead mum. Yeah, like I think at this point in the film, I was like, oh, the lodge is haunted. Um, I thought this was going to be a haunted house story. Um, it doesn't end up being that way, but... Yeah, the dog, and it does it a few more times throughout the film. I'm like, oh God, what the hell is out there? Like, I thought it was like a demon or a ghost or something. But uh, yeah, I didn't think it was going to end the way it does. And the animal lover in me feels heart sorry for this dog because it has to stay in the spooky fucking kitchen. It's not allowed in the bedroom. 
the dog's hardly ever allowed outside. I, I don't know. I just felt sorry for. Oh, I can't remember what they call the dog in the movie because it's called Wally in real life. What's it called? Gla- no, not Gladys. Grady. Grady. Poor fucking Grady. Take him upstairs. It's cold in that cabin. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't understand that sometimes, especially with like small dogs. It's like just let them sleep in the bed with you. Exactly. Get it if it was like fucking German Shepherd or something, so they'd be like having a third person in the bed with you, but. <laughs> <laughs> like a dog that size like just let me sleep with you exactly that's me saying that i don't have a choice about bear sleeping in the bed with me he's decided that that's what's happening <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just like advocate for all the dogs now so the following day they all go out onto the lake and the ice skate uh i don't know about you lucy ice skating is my number one like no-go activity um just like don't don't even fucking suggest it because it's going to be a hard no well story time for you because fucking ice skating gives me ptsd i severely remember i think it was my 12th or my 13th birthday because there's an ice rink in aberdeen and my mom took me there with all my friends i've never been ice skating before i'm holding on to the fucking banister crying for dealer i can't go in the middle i can't go in the middle and everybody else is fucking scooting about on the ice rink and i'm just absolutely terrified so no never again i would be falling flat on my arse absolutely yeah, not i have a similar story i was a bit younger but yeah it's the exact same thing and um, the people who took me tried so hard with me, but I just was not comfortable in the slightest. And then I went again, because I'm the kind of person, I'm like, oh, don't want to say no to things, let's try it again. I think I was like 21 or something. And I went with my boyfriend at the time and our other friend who were a couple. And I put one foot on the ice and it just this rush of emotion from six-year-old me from doing it the first time around. I burst into tears. Oh, bless <laughs> and you. I was just like, I can't do this. And I sat and watched them ice skate while I just like, like cleaned myself up from like having this really emotional experience. I fucking hate it. Don't ever ask me to go ice skating. <laughs> Maybe we can face our fears and go together one day. Just cry. <laughs> Maybe I'll just be 30 plus year old me like walking around, clinging onto the edge, crying. <laughs> Because I just, I hate it so much. But part and parcel of the reason why I hate it is this fucking movie. Because the ice breaks. I'm like, obviously it doesn't happen in an ice rink. But you see all the stories. Obviously there was the cold snap. Was it in January or December? Yeah, I think it was December. It was the end of December. Yeah, like people start ice skating on like frozen locks and stuff. And I'm just like, what are you doing? You're gonna die. The kids and the dad go out ice skating on the lake. Grace sees them, you know, gets herself together and she inadvertently grabs Laura's hat, the dead mum's hat, she puts it on and Mia snatches it from her. Don't wear my dead mum's hat. Um so Mia's playing with her doll and she's playing quite near this fishing hole and Grace is kinda like, Oh Mia, like, don't do that. And then we're led to think that Mia has dropped her doll in the water and um, Grace goes rushing into action. She's like the closest adult there and, um, you know, she's trying to like put her arm into this fishing hole to get it out and uh, the ice cracks beneath her and she falls into the water and the dad, you know, comes over and helps and then the camera pans over to the dry doll in Mia's arms. Uh, so on the first watch, I don't think I noticed that the doll was dry. Uh, I haven't I was that. So, 
overwhelmed by you know the falling into the ice, but it, it's bone dry. So there must be two dolls then, right? Or she faked it. Or faked it, yeah. What a wee cow. Honestly. Oh, I hate kids. Like this just <laughs> this just further cements my opinion that I just hate kids. So after that happened, the dad's phone in his work. Oh, I can't go back. Like, there's a lot of things going on. I can't go back to work. But I think Grace just like doesn't want to be a bother. And she's like, look, it's fine. I can handle it. Go back to work. We'll be like, we'll be fine. And he's like, I'll show you where the gun is kept. Uh, which is odd to me, but I'm from the UK. We don't have guns. I'm like, what's she going to need that for? Um, which is about yeah to me that's a bit like oh why why have you got that but again it's a different culture isn't it so he fucks off back to his work see you later and grace is alone with the kids and bless her she's trying to bond with these kids so she talks to me about christmas presents and mia says she wants a dog and grace talks about how she got grady for herself um you know she'd been working really hard on herself and she wanted to move on from the past and getting grady was a big part of that and then we see a zoom in on grace's hand where she has like a christian cross scar on the palm of her hand so it's like it's a, it's a small detail it says a lot without saying anything really like she's been physically hurt by this place as well and it's this constant reminder like you can't get rid of that no, it's the it's the physical representation of her trauma and everything she's been through. And we only get to scratch the surface of what she's been through. I mean, God knows how horrific it was. So, like, hoping they've maybe bonded over a love of dogs. <laughs> uh, I think Grace finds out that that's not what's happened when Mia's like, oh, let me show you what me and Aiden made our dad for Christmas. And it's this, like, happy home video compilation of, like loads of fun stuff that they did together with the mum which must not have been fun for Grace to watch hefty awkward and they knew that as well like they, I, what would you say in that situation but like, I don't even know she's trying her hardest bless her it must be a really awkward situation when you are like the step parent that comes to us into a situation where the other parent has unfortunately died young um i think like really in any circumstances because it's that way they're like not your kids so you can't really like put the foot down or you seem like a total asshole Mm -hmm. but then it's that way as well it's like you live in that house you want to have a happy harmonious house you kind of want to be respected on some level like how do you achieve that balance yeah because you don't want to be walked all over but and you don't want to seem like the dick but yeah, I don't even know how it handled that. It's just really like you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Either way, you're fucked. Either you're fucked or the kids are upset. So so we see Grace eating alone because the kids keep patching her. And then she has like quite a visceral reaction to having a picture of the Virgin Mary just like staring at her to the point where she like moves seat so she doesn't have to look at it. And then with the feeling of it staring in the back of her head, she actually just takes the picture off the wall. And that kind of shows you like how 
how that stuff must affect her and like I hate it as women like something like women female percent people do all the time and they, they just put up stuff because they don't want to be a problem don't want to be a bother and that's what she'll be doing in this situation like this stuff will be bothering her a lot this silly cunt that she's engaged to we should know that because he wrote a book about her and her cult well the cult that she was in rather and he's just like oh i'll just leave all this here oh she's fine with it she didn't say anything the prick's just thinking with his prick and not his mind (laughs) yes um and this is also at the first point where grace starts to hear whispers um so grace goes for a shower mum and a love heart is written in the mirror and we see it when the steam comes up and then when she's rubbing it off we see you fucking creepy little Aiden watching her in the shower and again I hadn't clocked at this point obviously what the twist is and I still thought that the house was kind of haunted so it was like oh the mum isn't haunting the house there's a wee boy that's haunting the house I didn't clock that it was Aiden I was like oh is this like another kid is there like a family that lived here before like yeah I thought at this point, like, still, like, haunted house. I did maybe think it was, like, Laura just being, like, oh, mum, like, thinking, like, oh, maybe that's something a kid would have wrote if she was in the shower and, like, come in and run off or something. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Aiden's standing there watching us. Creep. Um, and, again, Grady's barking. Um, this is when we notice as well that Grace is sleepwalking. And she does some quite strange things. She generally like walks around the house. She's like walking into rooms. It's quite creepy. And she plays the piano as well. I forgot that she plays the piano when she's sleepwalking and just like jump clean right out of my skin. So many people do so many crazy things sleepwalking. It's actually, it's insane. I couldn't imagine oh. how disorientating that. Like I've slept off a couple times in my life. I've not done anything crazy. I've just like woken up in the kitchen. But can imagine waking up and like, doing something and not remembering it how fucked up would that be and oh god horrid remember there was that story a few years ago in Aberdeen about the women who sleptwalked to Asda no yeah this the women sleptwalked to uh, the as the 24-hour Asda with Garth D I'm sure this is the thing and like security had to like phone the police and like try and get her back home because they didn't know what to do because she was just like sleepwalking her Holy shit. but that's like out your front door like you've left your front door open most likely or maybe you've been sleepwalking and locked it locked it as well but yeah people can do the craziest things sleepwalking so she wakes up on the floor and all the presents have been moved so we noticed when she first came in she had them in a drawer and now her the presents that she bought for the kids and Mia's doll are in her suitcase. And then Mia coincidentally is like, my doll's missing. I'm saying it like that because on the second watch, I'm just like, I know you've moved it, you little bitch. <laughs> but on the first watch, you're like, haunted house. Someone's moved all the stuff. Aye. Um, what did you think? I thought haunted house. Somebody's moved all the stuff. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then Grace helps her find it but I've kind of I've wrote a note to myself that I think that Grace thinks that this is a setup because I think Grace actually moves it to like the cupboard where Grady is so she's like it's not like in her suitcase so that she can't be like oh it's in my suitcase how did it get there and then the kids are like oh, you're trying to steal our things and no oh, this is my mom oh. so 
Grace actually moves it to where Grady is and it's kind of like, oh, Grady must have thought it was a toy. And uh, I, I kind of feel them both looking at each other like, I know what you did. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so Aiden and Grace have a confrontation in the kitchen. She's like, just trying to be, she's just trying to be nice. She's like, oh, do you want any food? He's like, not from you. And she's, <laughs> she's like, you know, you could talk to me about any hand. He's like, I don't want to speak to you. And Grace is trying to find out why, but he's just being a little bitch and he won't, he just, he's like, just like, I don't like you. I know, I feel really sorry. Honestly, she has the patience of a saint, no pun intended. Um, But that honestly, be getting a fucking smack at that point. She's trying to make him a sardine, trying to like, you know, bond with them. I'm like, I, I just wouldn't do that. I just couldn't be honest. I'd be like, I'm going to fuck off to your room then. I'm sick <laughs> yeah. of looking at you. <laughs> Um, so the three of them watch the thing together it's quite ironic that they watch the thing together because it is also a film where they're in isolation they're trying to figure out who the big bad is and nobody ever really can really definitively say what is going on uh, and this film is kind of the same there's not really as much some slacking these ways off there's not really a bad guy as such and everybody's very morally grey you know that way yeah I was looking up afterwards just like quickly um from the directors they kind of they wanted it to be that the kids aren't necessarily good or evil like you can kind of understand it's something that ends up getting taken too far trying not to mm. spoil it it's like you know this is obviously spo- spoilers galore but trying to keep it up to this point what the big reveal is but yeah I quite I like morally gray characters because I think that's more realistic to real life like nobody's perfect everybody fucks up um, definitely so no I quite I quite like that so they're all watching the thing together Aiden brings Grace a hot chocolate which seems a bit oddly nice uh, Mia claims to be cold uh, so Aiden brings up the gas heater Grace is a bit concerned about the safety of it. It must be given off a smell and she's a bit worried about gas leaks. Grace falls asleep and she dreams she's out on the ice again. And I think like we were saying with the kind of religious iconography looming over her in this dream, she falls into the ice and it's her cult leader dad pulling her back in. So I guess it's always in the back of her head, like her past, as it would be. And I guess it's a sign to the audience as well that a small change could happen and Grace will be right back into that mindset. Also, like, I immediately knew when he was giving her that hot chocolate, I was like, this has been spiked. The way he was looking at her, the way that little Mia was looking at her, I'm cold. I fucking knew. Like, it was just the little looks. I was like, no, nah, that's been spiked with something. And also, I, I just thought about it after. It's kind of like the whole gas canister thing. It's kind of quite a good metaphor for later on how they gaslight Grace. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Like in hindsight, he spiked the hot chocolate 100% because of, well, I won't go into it right now. But so she wakes up on the living room floor, her phone's out of battery, there's no electricity, the pipes have frozen over. Uh, Grace asks Aiden to check the generator, it's not working, his phone's out of battery. The Christmas decorations are gone. There's no food. Is this a nightmare situation or what? The way I like, I really like how this scene's set up because like at first she'd be like, oh, this is weird. And then you'd get more and more panicked. Like, especially when there's no food, there's no water, 
and you can see Grace start to panic there. I like the kind of build up of it where you're like, oh, this is okay. Or, but yeah, this is fine. Oh no, this this is definitely not fucking okay. Like they're in the middle of the fucking snowstorm. God knows where, you know, no civilization for miles. You're you're screwed. So she goes upstairs thinking like, oh, this is a prank, goes into their room to try and find the stuff. Nothing. No, she goes to her room first, sorry. And she's just like, I want all this stuff back. By the time I get back down the stairs, her room is empty. Her medication is gone. She comes back. She's like, right, the jig is up. Where's the stuff? She goes into their room. All their stuff is gone as well. You're just like, as an audience member as well, you're like, what in the fuck is going on? Um, You don't expect what you end up finding out happening to be what is happening. No, not at all. Because like, yeah, I just, I, I, I was still on the kind of haunted mindset, or like, I don't know, maybe somebody's fucking with them from outside. I'd like, I didn't expect it to be what it was. So kind of at this point, my head started turning about what could possibly be going wrong, or like, what is up in this lodge because there's been a snowstorm, and I started to think, are they dead? Very in line. I don't want to spoil a film that's been out for 20 plus years, but like very akin to like the others or like season one American Horror Story. Um, especially when like Grace tries to leave at one point and she kind of ends up circling around back to the lodge. It's like, wait a minute, they can't leave. I'm like, what the hell? I was thinking that they might have died from like the gas. So I thought they might have spiked her, but then obviously they've got the gas canister and they all like accidentally died. So that's what I thought was happening. And then we lead up to it. And I think the characters start to think that's happening as well. So I was like, oh, like it's funny that they kind of came to that conclusion as well. But on the kind of run up to that, um, Aiden tells Grace that he had a dream that they all suffocated from the gas heaters. So that kind of plants that seed for starters. Um and when we're talking about gaslighting, Mia is heard talking on the phone and she's just like, my phone battery's dead. Um, we later find out that that wasn't true. Grace starts to hear her dad's voice at night, just said like, repent. And Mia also claims to be able to hear the voices to, I think, kind of back Grace up. And then I noticed on this watch that Grace is looking out the window at one point and she sees what looks like bodies buried in the snow. And I wondered if the numbers would have matched up with the number of people who died in the cult. But the first time yeah. I watched it, I never noticed it. But this time I did. And then also the changing of the clocks as well to January 9th. Because I was thinking, the dad's supposed to... Because that was also making me think, oh, they're dead. Because the dad was supposed to be back before Christmas. And I was like, if they found out of food and water, they would not survive that long. Yeah, that's why I was like, they're fucking dead. Like, I was so convinced that they were dead as well. So Grace decides that she's at one point she's like, right, fuck this, I'm leaving. Like, I need to find some help. You know, after the clocks had been changed and stuff, like she feels like, you know, I'm losing it a bit. Like, I really need to get back to civilization. She goes on this journey to try and find somewhere. Uh, she ends up at this house that looks like a cross. It's fucking religious iconography. It's just following her everywhere. There's somebody in the house, but they just will not let her in. And again, at that point, you're just like, she hallucinating or what? Um, given the circumstances, it could have been someone being like, I don't have the resources to take somebody in. Like, you're going to have to go. Or it could be a figment of her imagination. Like, we just don't know. Especially because she doesn't have her medication either. And she could be going through withdrawals from that as well. 
Um, so she decides to follow so it's heartbreaking see this as well like she sees some footsteps and she's like oh yes someone else has tried to make the journey out and she's actually following her own footsteps back to the lodge and she sees it and she starts crying and she's like oh god like I just want someone to help these poor people they're like stuck out in the middle of nowhere they've got no food no electricity and then when she gets back to the house she finds a picture and some candles buried in the snow Aiden finds the picture and he's like Grace what the hell is this and it's a picture of him and Mia saying in loving memory of and he's just like what the hell is this again leading to this idea that they've actually died and they're stuck in this house in purgatory and this is when someone someone in the film actually says I think we're actually dead Aiden says we've died and Grace is like, don't be stupid. At this point, I also there's so many fucking theories going on in my head. Another theory I thought of was, did she maybe get triggered, lose the plot, and she ended up killing them? And they're all dead, but she's not realised that she killed them. And maybe she was the one behind all the killings in the cult, because she was the only survivor. That was mm. another thing that was going on in my head. I was like, oh, could that have maybe happened? Ooh. So again, there's more of Dad's voice overnight. And then the kids are found, like, praying over an obituary for the three of them. This is, it seems like the kids are absolutely convinced, like, we're all dead and we need to repent for our sins. And having this word over and over again, repent, just sends Grace into a bit of a tailspin. And she's, like, chucking Aiden about, like, an empty tracksuit, like, like, stop it, stop it. Um... Because, you know, that kind of rhetoric is just not a good thing for her to hear. No, especially, like, in cults, when you're being brainwashed, there's probably quite a lot of, like, words that trigger you. I can imagine there's certain words that are repeated again and again and again, and probably repent is one of them. So that's sending her back. It's like a PTSD just flashback, and it's just, yeah, it's fucking horrible. So he's like, you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. He simulates hanging um to or shouldn't really say it like that he hangs himself to prove that he cannot be killed um because they are already dead and you're just like when you know what happens this is so fucked up how does he do it though and i don't understand how he does it it's the rock climbing gear oh shit okay right oh okay I didn't realise either until I was watching an interview with the directors and they're like, that's why he packs the he packs the rock climbing gear for that specifically. What an evil little fucking demon. Yeah. That's actually so evil. Kids are evil. Kids in horror are so evil. Like that, oh my god. They thought this shit through. They actually did. Give them their dues there. They did. They, they, they planned it to tea. So after this, Grace starts to repent. And then we pan to a speaker that in the attic that is playing her dad's voice. So it's the audio recording from the video that we saw earlier in the film. These little bastards. They thought about everything. Grace goes out. She's kind of like kneeling in the snow i'm not like i'm not quite sure what that is but i assume it's something that generates pain because unfortunately that's how 
repenting goes in some Christian sects is just self-flagellating. Um, and then she finds Grady's frozen body, and this hurts so much because like this is the straw that breaks the camel's back because this was the thing that she bought for herself to say like you're having a new life you're gonna have this beautiful new life with your dog and you know all the work you've done on yourself and the dog's dead after this she completely reverts back to cult grace and it's really horrible to watch it is, and it's not as if it's like a quick pan shot either. Like you see that dog multiple fucking times, and it's such a shame that dog did absolutely nothing. And yeah, it was the physical representation of her freedom, and to be honest, probably one of her only friends. Well, we don't know what her. Obviously, she doesn't have any family now because of what mm. happened. And going through what she went through at that age, I can imagine it'd be incredibly hard to connect with people because nobody could relate to you and what you went through. Mm. And animals are your best friends and they're your family. So I can imagine that was her like sole companion for a long time. So just you can see like you say it breaks her. This is also the first time we see a bit of regret from Mia and Aiden as well. And the way Mia cries when she also finds out that Grady has died and the way she's apologising, it's all my fault, I left the door open so obviously while after they drugged her and they were moving shit around in the house they'd left a, a door open Grady ran off so she knows that's her fault maybe this is her finally realising that they've taken it too far you know, when something has died like yeah, I think you've probably taken it too far and when the way that Grace is just like catatonic with grief over her dog, and even Aiden's like, "We need to get her in the house. She's gonna, she's gonna freeze to death." Uh, it's the first time that they ever have any kind of empathy for her in the whole film. They they see like the actual consequences of their actions. So yeah, when they're discussing Grace, and Aiden's like, "We have to stop this," and then this is when like I think the penny finally drops for the audience where we go is into the attic and they have this like crawl space where they've hid everything so they they drugged grace took down all the christmas presents removed everything from all of their rooms removed the food from the fridge and they hid it in this crawl space and they go in there to retrieve her pills hoping that they can maybe like get her back to normal in quotation marks but we're too far gone at this point and that's not going to happen unfortunately so Aiden even tries to like reason with Grace he's like none of what's happened is real but Grace is so far gone that she's just like no we're in purgatory we all have to repent for our sins and this it's it's hard to watch it's hard to watch Grace be so broken when she came into this film to us as this very sincere woman with a horrible backstory who just really more than anything just wanted to make a good impression on these kids and they have completely broken her and it's also sad that dad in this movie is so bad that these traumatized kids themselves have just had no outlet for this absolute rage that they felt over their mother's death that they have completely destroyed this woman and at this point it's just like everything that's done cannot be undone 
So that way that at the start of the film, everybody was little dolls that Aiden and Mia could place around. It, everything's completely out of their hands now when they started to fuck around with this woman's mental health and her medication. Yeah, they realise that it's not a game. They're actually dealing with like a, a human being. Um, and everyone's blaming Briggs. Really, the person to fucking blame is the dad. Yeah. Get those kids well, in therapy to start off with. Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm a hard push to be like, part of me is like, oh, these kids are all bastards. But then another part of me is like, these kids are fucking traumatised. And also they're kids, like, they're teenagers. They don't have all the faculties to fucking process what's going on, which is why they need their dad to help them do that and stop something like this from happening. Because this started off, I'm sure to them, as just a harmless prank. Yeah. And it has gotten so far out of control now that, you know, their lives are changed forever. Ada tries to get the generator to work, you know, the same one they told Grace wasn't working before, but I'm not sure if it's just, like, been out of use for too long or if the snowstorm has done something to it, but they can't get this generator to work. Um, Aiden asked Mia for her phone, so this was the backup phone for everybody, because obviously they drained the battery and Aiden and Gracie's to try for this prank. And Mia's like, oh, I've been on the phone to my dad too much, so it's out of battery. So before, when Grace was like, your phone works, and Mia's like, no, it doesn't. It did. She'd been on the phone to the dad, the dad the whole time, pretending everything was fine, and it wasn't. The gaslighting is very real, physically <laughs> yeah. and emotionally. The kids walking on Grace, kneeling on hot coals as a means of repenting. And this, like woman is screaming in pain it's really hard to watch and like the kids are trying to sleep in the attic so like the top floor and they can't sleep because of the screaming and part of me is like you deserve to be up all night you like you did this i don't have any like part of me is like i, I know that we're saying they're morally gray but i'm also like you, you kind of need to get a taste of your own fucking medicine you are the yeah. direct cause of this and i'm also a bit like pissed off that they didn't go downstairs and try and help her yeah it's a scary situation but you put her in that situation like you should go down and try and help her they just look they kind of shout out shout for her and then they go back up and just kind of ignore it and i'm like well that's not going to fix anything is it i know i think they just don't know what to do yeah i mean their kids are not equipped to deal with um you know somebody having a psychotic breakdown so the dad you know is like, oh, I've not heard from them in like 24 hours, so maybe I should go and find them and see what's going on. And this is like a five, six hour drive from his house. So given Grace's mental state right now, it's like anything could happen between him leaving the house and him actually getting there. So like I say, the kids have set up camp in the attic at this point to try and get as far away from Grace as possible. But Mia needs the toilet and she's not fucking going in the corner like Aiden said to do. I would neither. <laughs> no, I'm not squatting and dropping, especially in the cold. <laughs> no. So she risks a trip down the stairs to try and use the bathroom, but Grace finds her and follows her up the stairs. Aiden and Mia huddled together, screaming and crying. Like, we were saying before about how Leah McHugh is such a good actress. I feel like both of them, especially in this moment, like I could feel the fear through the screen. And, you know, Ada's trying to like explain that they're not dead. And Mia's screaming, and she's like, We did it for our mum. And 
you know, it's all it's all kind of coming out now, but Grace is too far gone. She's not listening. She's absolutely convinced her in purgatory. And then the dad arrives and he comes up the stairs and he's kind of trying to resolve the situation. Obviously, he's literally just arrived. He's got no idea what's going on. Grace starts to tell him, like, oh, we're all dead. We're all dead. It's fine. We're all dead. And she tries to shoot herself in the temple. But there's obviously not a bullet in that place because she pulls the trigger and nothing happens. And then she does it to the dad and one holds she shoots him dead so this is another thing that these kids another traumatic thing these kids have to go through they've just watched their dad be murdered in front of them um but it's kind of it's one of those things it's like these are the consequences of your actions like you shouldn't be fucking around with a traumatized person's mental health like that but then at the same time i understand that they're angry at her because of their mom's suicide and it's so frustrating but yeah, what did you, what did you think of the dad being it's, killed? It's all conflicting emotions. Like I knew that yeah. was gonna, I knew that was gonna happen. Part of me is like, well, not that they deserve it, but it's like you kind of did deserve it for what you did, and you also feel bad for because they've just broken this person down to a shell of a human being, and like I don't think people realize. Like I mean, I can't even begin to imagine the trauma of what she went through, and you were literally brainwashed and programmed. So she's brought back right to her twelve year old self. But then, yeah, you kind of understand because they've gone through a traumatic thing with their mum and it's just all like, it's kind of like the directors, what the directors say. They want you to have conflicting emotions. They don't want you to be like siding completely with one or the other. And also for the dad, I'm just like, see if you got there earlier. See if you actually put everybody in therapy. See if you weren't such a fucking arsehole that only fought with your dick. Like, See, if this... you just took the holidays off work, like, as well, <laughs> like, you're going to have to go back to work. Because he was like, oh, I'm going to drive up on the 25th. Can I drive there on Christmas Day? Did I just hear you correctly? <laughs> Not even Christmas Eve, Joe. <laughs> I know. So, Harry doesn't feel sorry for the dad. But, again, Grace is so far gone with her thinking that they're in purgatory that she's not even fully comprehended that he's dead like she kind of goes over to him like thinking oh i'm gonna get him up and in the meantime the kids are like fuck this like we finally got a car again we're gonna try and get out of here but seems to be too much traction with the wheels and the snow they can't get the car to go anywhere so like grace just walks over to them slowly and it's we assume that she just gets them out of the car because we're next background at the dinner table the dead dad's there as well and she sits there and she says a prayer and then she puts duct tape on the kids mouths like the dead cult members with sin on it and then the last thing we see is the gun on the table with the two bullets in the chamber and that's the end of the film and it's kind of like as well that meal it's kind of like the last supper religious iconography again um, and then the, the picture of Mary is back up on the wall, but the frame's kind of broken as well. I assume, because if there's only two, I mean, I assume that she killed both the kids, but then she would be left, she'd be left because there's only two bullets. Mm. But it's that way, we've spent a good chunk of this film thinking we're in purgatory. Both the, like, the characters and the audience are now in purgatory. We don't know whether they're living or dead. They're in this in-between stasis. And I think that's like a stroke of genius by the 
writers directors to kind of do that to us because we have no definitive answers about what happens and for all we know the kids could escape and she kills herself like we don't know yeah. or they, they all could escape together and if she, you know maybe the kids force the medication down her throat and she gets better I don't know like it's all up to interpretation which I quite like yeah me too me too have you got anything else you'd want to, want to say about the film no just like this has been one of those episodes like you know you've had a couple episodes where you're like I don't like this movie and then you talk about it, you're like actually this is all right I'm kind of like that with this now I can see your your smuggly face because when, <laughs> when I was halfway through I turned over today and I went five <laughs> really I don't know why because I really like slow burn movies as well so I was like this is gonna be up my alley and then the end and I was like okay six but now kind of speaking about it and noticing little things like the rock climbing gear and everything I feel like I need to watch it again but I feel like yeah you've definitely swayed me I do like I think I need to watch it again like I but the more we talk about it the more I'm like oh this is quite a smart movie so the director kept the directors rather kept uh, Keo and the child actors separated um, so that the child actors could build that sibling relationship which I do think we get like I love the scene in the car at the start where she's like oh look at the shake hands with the doll and then the doll comes off and it's all it's all very cute and what you'd expect from siblings and um, I think you do get that like separation they are very much like a united sibling front against the evil stepmom who's oh, not yeah. evil whatsoever but they're very much a united front against her uh, so I think they did a really good job with that and I remember watching interviews I think it's with Leah McHugh and Riley Keough and I think Leah just kind of naturally like wanted to gravitate towards Riley like they must have have a lot in common or like got on really well and the directors were like nope <laughs> like kept them separate so um let's get on to box office and ratings then so I cannot find any budget information about this film which is a shame but made 3.1 million at the box office which sounds really low but given it's 2020 and I think just given the subject matter as well like I get it I wish it done a bit better like I think it deserves to do a bit better but I understand those figures yeah it probably would have been quite low budget as well because really there's only four actors there's not massive set designs we're all kind of in one house like if I mean I could be wrong but it feels like it wouldn't have been too much to make um so IMDB rated this a six out of ten just a 6.0 it got a 74 Four percent from the Rotten Tomatoes critics and a fifty-one percent from the audience. So that's like quite a big difference, I think. And I think the audience rating is really quite low. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's like you say, it's it's a slow burn, which aren't for everybody. Um, I really enjoyed this on a first watch. Sometimes with this, like you say, you do need a couple of watches. But I, I like, I really liked it. But I guess it's not for everybody. And Metacritic rated this at 64%. But I don't care what they think. I want to know <laughs> what you think, Lucy. What would you rate it out of 10? Well, this has been an emotional journey because, honestly, I turned over and I just went five. 
<laughs> I was like, you're gonna hate me. I was like, Lindsay's gonna hate me because I'm I, I'm giving something to five. But I I know like we it's it's good to have different opinions. But the more I speak about, it, the more I do like it, and I feel like if I watch it again, I'll probably like it even more. So I'm gonna give it a seven. Um, I'm gonna give this film an eight out of ten. I really enjoy it. Um, there's a lot to think about. I think it's got a good rewatch value because you notice all the little bitties. I'm sure when I watch it for a third time that there's going to be a, even more things about this, these kids' plan that I figure out uh, before it actually happens because there's so many teeny tiny little details there that will just be so fun for fans of cinema to seek out Um. I think the performances of our lead three characters are absolutely fantastic. And uh, yeah, eight out of ten. So that is tonight's spooky sleepover over and done with. Uh, next week, we are going to be looking at scary sequels. Last year, we've done so many films and there's so many sequels to those films that we need to get to. So we're going to finally get around to some of them. And next week, we are going to talk about 28 weeks later. We spoke about 28 days later, I think in like episode four with Enola from Slay Away. Yes. So nice little throwback to that. I've not seen 28 weeks later, so I'm looking forward to watching it. I was always under the impression that it was a bit shit, so I've avoided it. But Lucy assures me that it's all right, so... <laughs> we'll see how we go <laughs> I think as sequels go for horror it is a pretty de- decent sequel I'm just really pissed off they didn't make another one because I mean it doesn't spoil it but they definitely set up for a third movie I don't know why Danny Boyle hasn't done it because I'd love to see a third 28 movie well, there's always been like whispers of a 28 months later but they've just never manifested in anything and yeah like you say I don't know why because does he direct 28 weeks later? Yeah, and 28 days. Oh, yeah, I know he does 28 days, but I wasn't sure if he did 28 weeks, mm-hmm. but that's interesting. But looking forward to finally watching it. It's got Robert Carlyle in it. Generally like him, so we'll see what happens. So, Lucy, where can people find you online? You can find me on all the socials at Lulu underscore Pew. I am at Hi, it's Lindsay underscore on all social media you can find the podcast at girlfriend pod on twitter and girlfriends underscore podcast on instagram we'll be back next week with scary sequels and a review of 28 weeks later but until next time stay spooky